This morning, man, just that, that song we sang over and over, you're like, why are we singing, you know, You Are Good, over and over. But, you know, there's just, I listen to that, I listen to the testimonies, and they're testimonies of the goodness of God. And that has got to be the foundation that we live from as followers of Jesus, is the goodness of God. You know, for us as a community, it's such an important and essential foundation. It's what, it's, when we're not living from that place, it just live, get, creates such room for the enemy to come in as the accuser, as the liar, and, and just start knocking us you know, off course and bringing all kinds of things into our lives that are, that are not helpful. And it's a great intro to what I am going to be speaking on. For, as you know, we've been talking about this importance of us being with God Last week, Greg gave an amazing message on the importance of us feeling our feelings and, and being able to, to live from a place where we, we're not afraid to be feeling our feelings. And I'm going to be building on that today, but on a real specific one. And I'm going to talk about getting rid of anxiety and fear from our lives. And this is one that's really important to me because I'm someone that, that since a child has struggled with anxiety. I never would have had a name for it. It's actually only probably in the last few years that I've had a name for it and realized that, oh, that's not a normal thing. That's, you know, being Living from a place of anxiety isn't what everyone does. It was, I think we all do to different degrees, but there was definitely something in my life that the enemy would really use, a button the enemy would push in my life to become, that would become debilitating for me at times. Now, if you've been at Lifehouse for, for any length of time, you know there's a couple of times where I'm you know, been preaching. It's like, man, I'm really struggling. I really struggled this morning before trying to come up and preach. And, and it would be this anxiety that just would come and overwhelm me at, at times. And, uh, you know, this week, my, my wife, she left for South Africa on Monday night. And she gets back, as I said, next Thursday. And honestly, you know, I, for all the single parents out there, I honestly have no idea how you do it. I have no idea. Because I'm not carrying even a beginning, even you know, uh, much of the load that you would actually carry, and so I just you know, if you are a single parent or if you are often having to parent your kids while your spouse is somewhere else, I just I just honor you because I, I honestly honestly don't know how you do that well, you know, and, but you do. I know some of those people in our community that do that, and the it's it's. I, I have a whole new level of admiration and respect for you, you know, after five days, six days. You know? So I can't imagine on a regular basis and, uh, of doing that. But, and my boys are amazing. Like, honestly, it's not that, they, you know, Joel is uh, absolutely wonderful, super self-sufficient. You know, he's, both our boys are homeschooled, so it adds an extra dynamic. But Joel does online learning. He, he's totally self-sufficient. I don't have to do really anything for him. And, and I told Lee, look, I'm not going to be able to move a whole lot of things forward. So I'm just trying to keep Seth on track with a few different things. Who, Again, Seth is awesome, but he's nine, you know, and he's nine. <laughs> So there's a, and he's, you know, and if you know Seth, he's Seth. And so anyone that knows him knows exactly what I'm saying, you know. He's a wonderful, amazing kid, but has his own idea of how things should be done and very, you know, strong-willed about how that should happen. And, uh, you know, but, but he's, they make it easy. They've actually, they've, they've been really easy. It's not 
been difficult to them. It's just the extra responsibilities. Okay, keep the house clean, make sure people are fed, make sure the laundry's done on top of all the other responsibilities that people carry. And it's interesting because as this week's gone on, you know, on, on uh, Thursday night, they went and stayed with my brother overnight because their cousins had a PA day the next day and they were hanging out with them. And so it should have been a really easy day, and it was. I woke up in the morning, and I'm like, okay, I got some real peace. But then suddenly this anxiety thing hits me in the afternoon, and it's debilitating. Like I'm suddenly in, like, my gosh, how I don't even know how I can function because just these thoughts, these overwhelming dread and thoughts of fear that start coming into my head. And if you've experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. Right? And, and you know, I had, to, I had to lead a meeting that night uh, of, of uh, some of our leaders. And I'm just like, guys, I just need you to pray for me because there's these different things that are like, you know, things that are just they're overwhelming me. And people prayed and it was great, but then I woke up the next day, same thing, just getting hammered by, by these thoughts. And I love, you know, this definition that uh, someone that I've come to really enjoy listening to, a, guy, a preacher in the U.S., John Mark Comer, and he defined anxiety, he says, anxiety comes when we picture a future without putting Jesus in the center of it. I'm going to say it again. Anxiety comes when we picture a future without putting Jesus in the center of it. And, and that future could be the next minute, right? It doesn't have to be like a future way down. For me, it's usually a future way down or a future like how... You know, oh my gosh, this afternoon, what's going to happen? Da, da 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 All these different thoughts and feelings that just come and they come and overwhelm. But the truth is, in those moments, I have lost perspective on Jesus. Right? He's not in the center of my thinking. You know, I am, or whatever circumstance or imagined fear. Because often those circumstances aren't necessarily real. They're just the worst case scenario that I'm going to in my mind. And, you know, I, I, I'm blessed that I think really fast, and that's really helpful for me in certain circumstances. And when anxiety kicks in, not so helpful, because it can play out a lot of really bad scenarios really quickly. And I'm sharing this with you today because I know that there's people in the room that experience anxiety, you know, and some on a much more debilitating level than I do. And, and all of us, to a certain degree, experience fear at times. You know, we fear about all kinds of things, fear about the future, fear about uh, how is this circumstance going to play out, what's going to happen. As Margaret got up today and just sharing, he had you know, fear about her daughters and their future and things like this, we, these, these different things that hit us. And for us, it's so important that we learn to put Jesus right in the middle of our circumstance and recognize that we are functioning in the kingdom. And it sounds really simple. And if you're like someone that struggles with anxiety, you'd be like, James, it's not that simple. I know it's not that simple. Yeah. But I know that I, we're all in this process of renewing our mind where it's not just we go, oh, just do this. Okay, now everything's fine. It's a process of us renewing our mind. And what I'm going to talk about today are some really key things that we can be doing, all of us, that's going to help us be non-anxious people people of peace, you know, to become more and more like Jesus, because there was nothing, nothing anxious about Jesus in any way, shape, or form. So let's, let's go to Matthew 14, verses 22 to 36. 
So it'll be up on the screen, but uh, if you have your Bibles with you or on your phone and you want to go there, I'm reading from the New International Version. And so this story starts, Jesus has been speaking to a crowd and it's time to dismiss them. And so it says here, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd, the other side of a lake. Right, the other side of a lake they were going to. So get in the boat, go to the other side of the lake. And so then Jesus dismisses the crowd, and after that he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. I'm going to pause there. Because we're gonna you know, this is one of the most common practices of Jesus. That he would go off by himself to be with his father. You know, Quite a, you know, it doesn't say he went up there to intercede. Most cases, and most likely, because Jesus said, I only do and say what the Father tells me to do and say, is that he went up to be with God to get his perspective on, okay, what's next? Just to be with his Father in heaven. And it's so important for us that we make the time in our lives, and we'll talk a little bit about this, to be with God be with God, to hear what it is that he has to say. So he goes up on this mountainside to pray by himself, and then later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, let me come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. When they'd crossed over, they landed in Gisenaret, and when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Now here's the interesting thing in this story. I want to bring our attention to is, is you know, there they are, the disciples. They're, they're out in their boat. Wind's buffeting them. Suddenly they see this presence, this person coming to them on the water. You know, most of us don't expect people to walk on water. You know, so they're understandably afraid. And she's like, hey, don't be afraid, it's me. Peter responds, oh, okay, well, Jesus, if it's really you, let me come to you. you know, come, I'll walk to you on the water. You know, Peter is a pretty headstrong, pretty courageous guy. And so he does it, he gets out there on the water, and then suddenly, you know, the wind, the things, they just, he's, he gets more focused on that becomes afraid, and starts to sink. And 
You know, Jesus calls out to Jesus. Jesus immediately rescues him. It's like, why did you doubt? Don't be afraid. You know, this thing of don't be afraid, don't doubt, do not fear, this is one of the most common commands that Jesus gives in the Gospels. Don't be afraid, don't fear, don't doubt. You see, God knows what we struggle with. He knows. If you're someone that struggles with fear, he knows. But he also knows we all. These are the disciples. They've been with Jesus. They've seen the miracles he's doing, and they're still doubting, and they're still operating in a place of fear. As soon as Peter's eyes were on the wind and the waves, they were off of Jesus. Jesus was no longer the center of what was going on. The circumstances, the wind, the waves were the focus of what was going on, and he began to sink. And doesn't that, I know for me, that's what happens. When I start getting anxious about things, my eyes are off of Jesus and they are on the circumstances and the circumstances seem impossible or they are fearful or the enemy's lying to me about them or whatever's going on and now suddenly I am afraid and suddenly can't see what's going on around me because I'm so focused, I'm not focused on Jesus, I'm focused on how I want things to be or how I think they're going to turn out. And, and it's so, and it's such an important thing for us as followers of Jesus, whether we're trying to figure out about tomorrow, whether we're concerned about our future, whether we're concerned about our job or our bank account or whatever it is, that we start picturing it with Jesus at the center of it. Jesus, if you are at the center of my life, what does this mean? So there's five points that we're going to talk about today. Five practices that if we can put in place are going to really be helpful. This isn't, this isn't a formula. It's just stuff that we see in the life of Jesus that can be extremely helpful for us as we're trying to, to learn to become more and transformed and become more and more like Jesus. Again, looking at that story, Jesus was not phased. It didn't say Jesus panicked and dove to rescue Peter, right? Jesus, he was not phased by Peter's lack of faith. He wasn't phased by any of the things that was going on. And as soon as he gets into the boat, everything gets calm. And when we become, when we become more and more that non-anxious presence, when we become more and more at peace, everything around us becomes peaceful. There's, there is a study that is done by a very well-known psychologist. His name is Edwin Friedman. And I'm not going to cover all of it, but talks about the, the importance, saying, look, there's this cycle that's it's very prevalent in our society today. In our society, I mean, anxiety is epidemic, you know, especially in young people today. You know, mental health, particularly anxiety and fear, is in ec- epidemic proportions. If we think COVID is bad, if we treated mental illness the same way, the, the, the level of anxiety in our young people today is it's, it's off the charts. And we actually, as a society, have become so immediate, like gratification focused, that we've taken away resilience from people. People don't know how to persevere. 
And so everyone's looking for quick fixes. How do I immediately fix this problem? And there's lots of problems like, that, are, that the world is saying, like, hey, the climate's changing. There's these, all these different things that's going on. Housing prices are going through the roof. How are we ever going to afford a house? How is this ever going to happen? All these things. There's so many things that people can be anxious about. And, and the world is this crazy place. If we don't have Jesus, I don't know how people do it without Jesus at the center. Well, but because our world is this crazy place, there's this cycle that things are going through in the world. And the incredible thing is that by his studies, and he's done these long-term studies and looked at history and, and his studies, getting into all of it, is that all you need is one, what he calls one well-differentiated, non-anxious leader to step in and it can change everything. What it means by being well-differentiated, it's that recognition that actually doesn't really matter what's going on around me, it's not going to affect me. I can stay me despite the circumstances. There can be all, everyone else can be free, losing their minds around me, but I can, I, I can not be affected by where they're at and not be swayed by where they're at. I will, you know, I'm, I'm going to come in and I'm going to bring peace and chart a course forward. But that's not our leaders. Right? Those, those leaders do not exist in our politics today. They don't, they don't exist in a lot of places. And it's a wonderful opportunity for the church to rise up, becoming like Jesus and bringing peace. You, the peace you'll bring to your workplace is that person, that's your school, your family, your friendships, whatever your sphere of influence is. It's that type of peace that people will be attracted to and want to know Jesus. So, the first practice, you know, which, which we're speaking a lot about, we're going to continue to speak a lot about because it's so opposite of the way the world is today, and that is slowing down. That we would have a slowed down spirituality. Dallas Willard says that you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Dallas Willard is a philosopher, but he's considered one of the foremost authorities in the last like 50 years, on spiritual formation. Spiritual formation being how do we you know, take on the practices and character of Jesus and learn to live that out in our lives. Hurry, I mean, we, I gave a, a message on hurry a few, uh, about a month or so ago, and it, it says it's an enemy of our soul. It's, it's a tool that the enemy uses to completely distract us from God. I am much more anxious the more hurried I am in my life. You know, our pace of life has got to be slow. C.S. Lewis, the, the Christian author and apologist, wrote that the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life, the life God is sending one day by day. Let's pause on that. It's kind of mouthful to say. It's up there. The great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things in our life as interruptions of one, 
its own real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life, the life God is sending one day by day. You know, we, we go through difficult things, or we go through interruptions, and Jesus was never hurried. Right? Jesus was never hurried. And he was interrupted all the time. And he was able to deal with those interruptions with love. And again, not be affected by them. He understood his mission. He understood what he was there to do. At times, even, we read things that would be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he did that. Right? Things like when the woman with the issue of blood comes and it's like, I need healing. I think it was, I think it was the woman with the issue of blood that needed healing. And she comes and, and it's like, please heal me. And he's like, uh, well, actually, you know, you're a Gentile. My mission's to the Jews. I can't, I can't help you. And then the woman's like, no, please. Please help me. You know, even, she says, even the dogs get to eat the scraps from the table. He's like, by your faith, you're healed. But his initial response was, hey, you're not my mission. And that can seem like really, really rude to us. Like, how dare Jesus do that? But Jesus was, you know, by Friedman's definition, a well-differentiated person. He wasn't affected by all the things going around him. We talked about the fact that Jesus healed, you know, there's times where we read that everyone, like we just did, everyone that came to him was healed. Like where he went in this Matthew 14, he goes across the river, this miracle happens in the boat, walking on water, goes there, everyone that comes and touches his garment is healed. Amazing. We then also read stories where Jesus goes into the pool, you know, where there's a person there wanting to get into the pool to be healed. And he heals one person, but there's all these sick people. There's all these sick people all over. One person he healed. He knew his mission. But he knew his mission because he was slow. He, 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 you know, he would withdraw from the cloud, crowd and go and be with his father and know what it is that he was supposed to be doing. Do we know? It's a great question. Do we withdraw and be with God to know what the mission is he has us on, or are we just on our own mission, hoping that God will somehow we can, you know, that God will get involved in our plan? You see, when we are okay with interruptions, when we're not so occupied with what with what we think things are supposed to be, we'll be able to have love and peace in the moment, but also not get distracted. You know, Jesus didn't rush when he heard his friend Lazarus had died. Yeah. And people were quite disappointed. And yet he knew his mission was to raise him from the dead. There is a Japanese theologian and I should have practiced his name, Koshi Koyamana. And uh, he wrote that God walks slowly because he is love. 
If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds since it's the speed of love. Can't rush love. You know, when we love, to, for love to develop, it takes time. You know, we have the, like, love at first sight, which is attraction. But real deep love, it's slow. To love people can't happen quick. You know, you can't be in a rush and love people. People aren't going to feel loved as you rush by them. It's slow. God's slow. The truth is that hurry is completely incompatible with love. Yeah. We have this wrong belief in our society that we've got to try to accomplish everything. You know, I, spoke, I spoke on this before, right? We feel like we've got to put our kids in every sport program. We've got to do all these different things, accomplish all kinds of things. The younger you are, the more you think you've got to accomplish. Go back, you know, it's always an interesting story for me about Notre Dame Cathedral. You know, and it was in the news, something people are probably aware of because it, it, it caught on fire a little bit ago. And that cathedral took like, again, I'm, I'm giving an estimate, like 250 years to build or something like that. And people lived an average lifespan of 40 years. Right, so they, they people worked on that thing, and, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's 200 years. But people started on this project that wouldn't get finished for multiple generations after them. they like, hey, they understood in their lifetime they would accomplish this piece. And it was going to take many generations to accomplish that. So much so that they planted oak trees to use in the beams because they understood that they would need like 200-year-old oak trees for the beams of the of the upper thing of the building. So they planted the beginning of the project so they could cut them down when time came and they needed trees big enough for the beams. Completely different than our, our way of thinking. It's like, man, I've got to accomplish this today. And if I can't do it today, is it even worth doing? The world is in a rush. It keeps us distracted, keeps us, keeps us from loving people. The world doesn't have time to love. I mean, it's such an interesting thing I've read about Japanese society. People aren't getting married. They're not having children because it's all accomplishment-based. Marriage and children are distraction to achievement. And, man, what a way for the... Do that for a little bit, your, your entire... Everything dies. Everyone dies, because you're eventually going to die. Right? It's a good way to wipe things out. So for us, as followers of Jesus, we've got to be slow. I mean, you know, Jesus invested in 12 people. The devil told him, hey, look, if you bow down, when he was tempted in the desert, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this right now. 
If you'll bow down and worship me, this entire kingdom is yours. Right? You can, you can rule over all of this thing. And Jesus said no to that. And instead, you know, invested in 12 people. He invested in 12 people. And this is so important for us, right? Because we can feel like we're accomplishing nothing by just investing in a couple of people. As, you know, the, I always, it's an interesting thing to me in our culture right now because right now if you look at social media or you look at media in general about uh, with Christianity, the primary thing you get told is that you should be a public speaker or a worship leader. Because look at the imagery. And somehow it's second best if you're not the person that's up here speaking or the person leading worship. But somehow you're second best. You know, that, that, you know, Maggie investing in people living in the home for, that, that have these different conditions is somehow less valuable than me speaking in front of the room. That's not true. That, that you investing in your neighbor or your children, you know, for the long term is, is somehow less important than leading some type of ministry. And it's all a lie. It's all the world breaking in on us. And uh, it's, it's a lie that if we will deal with and slow down, we'll become more like Jesus and the impact we'll have is lasting. Because it's amazing, in this, in this time of megachurches, the church is becoming weaker, not stronger. You know, the, the big, massive, and it's not a knock on anyone or anything. It's just the reality. It's, they say that any city that has a megachurch in it, this is a U.S. study, is in worse shape. It's actually is declining. The, 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 the church isn't growing, and the social impact is is minimal. The, the city actually is getting worse, not better. But if Christianity, it's why, it's why I'm so appreciative of the fact we have this theater to meet in, but this is, you know, I so miss the school because we could be on the same level together. You know, we could all be hanging out. We had lots of things because the important thing about us being the church is not you sitting and listening to me today as much as I hope you're very encouraged by it. The important thing of us being the church is our relationships with one another. It's us being in each other's lives. It's how we live this out when we walk out of the room. It's how we live it out at the end of the service and we stick around and have coffee with each other, find out how each other are doing. We slow down. We don't rush on to the next thing, but we slow down to be with each other. Not like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, great. Okay, thanks. How are you? I actually want to hear. I actually want to know. So the second one, oh my goodness. <laughs> well, there we go. Ah, James. Y yeah. Well, we got point one of five. <laughs> Apparently, I slowed down with the preach. 
So I'm going to list off the other. I am preaching in next week, so we'll pick it up as part two. I will. Glad you're happy with it. So the, the other four points are rest, Sabbath, again, I've been mentioning that a lot. Koinonia, which is deep, intimate relationships. Jesus had it with three, Peter, James, and John. Contemplative prayer, following Jesus' example of going up on the hill and being with God, listening. And the last one, indifference. Now, it sounds really bad, doesn't it? But it's, the, the, it's, it's actually freedom. Not indifference like, I just don't care. It's that actually what you think about me isn't going to affect how I am. The circumstances around me aren't going to affect me. And as we journey on this, fear goes away. And I can say this because I've been on this journey. I've been really looking at this. And for those of you that are in the room that struggle with anxiety, you know, combination of a Christian counselor who's awesome and, a, and putting these practices in place in my life has completely changed my life. Completely changed my life. And I know I'm still on that journey. And I can't wait to be growing in this a lifelong journey. But I, I want to say for anyone that struggles with fear and anxiety, there the hope Jesus really is the hope. And there really is a way forward. And if you'll put this stuff in place in your life, it as and we'll talk more about it in the coming, you know, next week, it really will change. Because God is not a liar. He's not a liar. And, and for those of us that go, hey, I don't struggle with anxiety, put this play, stuff in place, and you will become, a, you know, you will be able to bring Jesus into so many different situations, and peace will, will be able to come to you because of the peace that you carry, and the wisdom you carry, and the results that Jesus said that we should have as a church, as his followers, that we would do even greater things than him, will start becoming a reality in each and every one of our lives. It's following Jesus. So let me pray for us. Lord, I pray for everyone here that struggles in any type of battle with anxiety, that they would know that you really are the hope. And that they would be able to slow down and allow you to be the center of their life in even greater and greater ways. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would uh, just have a picture of you so at the center of our lives that we wouldn't be asking you to bless our plans, but we as your followers, as people submitted to you, would be learning to follow your plan for our life. I'm going to read this quote again next week. I just, God brought it to mind for me to share it. It's Ignatius of Loyola. And he said, we should not fix our desires on health or sickness, wealth or poverty, success or failure, a long life or a short one. 
For everything has the potential of calling forth in us a more loving response to our life forever with God. Our only desire and our one choice should be this. I want and choose what better leads to God's deepening life in me. And I pray that we will all be able to make that choice. Thank you so much for listening. Have an amazing day.